You're listening to the Red Wave Report, the number one rated Fresno State podcast, the official free podcast of thebarkboard.com. The thoughts and opinions are that of the show hosts and in no way reflect the thoughts and opinions of the university. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Red Wave Report. I am Lucio Rique, your host of the show, and being joined, as always, by the publisher of the Barkboard, Mr. Jackson Moore. And Jackson, was was this the Bulldog team you were expecting to show up against the Oregon Ducks? <laughs> you know, Lucio, it was, in a lot of ways, the team I expected to show up, um, but probably not the exact way it went down. I, I didn't foresee it. <laughs> Being that close, I didn't foresee the Bulldogs being even in position to win this game in the fourth quarter. Uh, I thought the Bulldogs would play probably a solid 30 to 45 minutes where they were about even with Oregon and that the Ducks would make some big plays and then kind of run away with it. And we saw a little bit of that in the first quarter where, I mean, the the talented athletes in the Oregon front seven were just too much right off the bat. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau comes in makes that highlight sack, reminded me of uh, Jadavion Clowney when he made that highlight play um, a few years back for South Carolina. Uh, I mean, we're going to see that highlight run all through the NFL draft as Thibodeau is likely to go in the top five. And I thought we were going to see quite a few of those. Um, I mean, the Ducks forced another turnover on the very next Bulldog snap, and it's 14-0. to zero. The Bulldogs are down, and even most teams aren't going to come back from that in a kind of lopsided athletic matchup. Um, and if you do, it usually ends up coming back to bite you, which what is what we saw from the Bulldogs. But, you know, it wasn't like the Bulldogs just played even and then didn't have enough in the tank. I mean, they were flat out the better team through the second and third quarter and kind of the back end of the first quarter and a little bit of the start of the fourth quarter. I mean, you take those turnovers away and the Bulldogs win this game, no doubt. I mean, they were just flat out. I, I felt like the better team for uh, about 30 to 40 minutes of this game, but the gaps between the Bulldogs and the Oregon was not as, as large as the Ducks' advantage in the first 10 minutes and the last 10 minutes. So you just saw there was a, a little bit of that advantage that the Ducks have was enough to uh, overcome what the Bulldogs did for the majority of the game, unfortunately. And you know, that's kind of uh, what is um, vulnerable to happen in these kinds of matchups. And Bulldog fans know all too well there's been a lot of close calls over the last two decades. But I think the Bulldogs deserve a lot of credit for doing what they did at the number 11 team in the nation. And I think they probably would have beat about 9 or 10 Pac-12 teams on that day. But unfortunately, the uh, schedule created several years ago lined them up at Oregon. And it was a little too much, I think. Yeah, <clears throat> and the, it looked like the Bulldogs um, in the beginning kind of struggled, but but once Thibodeau uh, kind of left the game with an injury, it kind of changed the, the p- complexion of the game a little bit. Do you think that had a lot to do with the Bulldogs having success on offense where they didn't have to face Thibodeau uh, play in and play out? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that helped. Uh, I, I do think there was a general shift in kind of the – momentum after it was 14-0. I think the, uh, Oregon got a little bit complacent, it felt like, and you know, the Bulldogs took advantage, and they started taking control of the game. But obviously it becomes easier for them to do that when you don't have one of the best defensive players in the nation on the other side causing trouble and 
as we saw early on, the Bulldogs didn't have an answer for Thibodeau. Uh, I'm sure they would have made adjustments and it would have been it gone a little bit smoother for the Bulldogs had he not gotten injured, but it definitely helped. And at the same time, I mean, Oregon had two five-star recruits, that linebacker and a bunch of other four-star guys, so it's not like uh, they're playing a bunch of nobodies after Thibodeau got hurt. I mean, this was a really, really good defensive front seven, far superior than anything the Bulldogs are going to see with Thibodeau or not. So uh, I don't want to take anything away from the Bulldogs for what they did. Uh, even if Thibodeau wasn't in there for most of the game. Yeah, it definitely looked like he was uh, giving uh, the Bulldogs uh, a lot of fits, uh, but uh, it, it seemed like right before he got injured, they were starting to kind of get him figured out a little bit, uh, and then him going down with an injury uh, really did help the Bulldogs. You know, the, Their confidence skyrocketed after that. Um, it looked like the, the Bulldogs were, were starting to get into a groove offensively, that the the Oregon Ducks were were kind of struggling to kind of figure out how how to uh, contain uh, uh, some of these big plays that the Bulldogs were starting to make. Do you see this becoming a trend with the Bulldogs as they start to get more and more comfortable? Uh, the the bigger plays are going to present themselves for the Bulldogs moving forward this season. Yeah, you know, I think they've got to hit a groove here pretty soon to where it's an all-game thing. We saw against UConn the week prior, the first quarter really didn't go so hot offensively, and then they exploded for, what, 24 points, I believe, in the second quarter, plus the, the seven that Mosley gave them in the first quarter on defense, and they, they really took away, got away with the game, and then you know, they, they kind of sat on the ball a little bit in the second half, so they really only played about one good quarter of offense in that game, and then of course, when you turn the ball over twice back to back, it's a surely a slow start against Oregon. But uh, then they picked it up, and I mean, if they could be successful against the type of guys that are playing on Oregon's defense, I don't see any reason that they would be stopped by anyone else. It's just a matter of starting fast and being consistent over four quarters, and then uh, definitely protecting the ball and not turning it over. But yeah, they proved it uh, in this game. They could, this offense can move the ball against anybody i mean then especially in the passing game um oregon was down two defensive backs who were suspended but they also had two all-conference defensive backs and the other guys that filled in were four-star recruits and guys that had experience so um i mean and then you factor in the bulldogs they they didn't have a whole lot of run game going for them in this matchup and they were still able to pass very very efficiently uh it really only crumbled when they were absolutely one-dimensional at the very end of the game, and Hayner was uh, probably not as 100% on his feet as he had been uh, after taking some hits. But in the go, 30 to 30 of 43 for almost 300 yards, a touchdown and no picks is a great day for Hayner. And then you've got all six receivers on the depth chart uh, caught multiple passes. Uh, you had the touchdown for Cropper. You had a lot of uh, big plays from Wheatfall and Kelly. And uh, you even had tight end Trey Watson, the true freshman, come in and make a catch. And he also got a – he drew a pass interference penalty that set the Bulldogs up for a, another score. So, I mean, the Bulldogs have a ton of weapons. And if Oregon can't stop them, uh, the Bulldogs are, are going to feel uh, pretty good this season, and especially if they can establish the run. I mean, if you're that potent of a passing game, and then you've got Ronnie going as well in the running game, I mean, it's really hard to stop an offense that, that is that balanced and that explosive, and I think that's what the Bulldogs are. 
Yeah, they're definitely starting to look like they're getting comfortable offensively, which is a good thing because if the uh, Bulldogs continue um, to uh, do what they're doing on defense, they're going to be right there with anyone in the country uh, playing these games. And right now, uh, one one person that has a lot to do with that uh, is the, uh, the Bulldogs quarterback, Jake Hayner. He just seems like he is super comfortable back there uh, in the pocket and uh, being able to kind of tear the, the other defense apart. Do you see, um, you see Hayner really starting to come, to, to come alive, so to speak, um, uh, as everyone else in the nation is beginning to see that he is one of the premier quarterbacks in the nation right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that was, uh, as far as the national scene goes, a bit of his coming out party. You had him, I mean, not just performing well, but kind of rubbing it into the Oregon crowd a little bit. After some of those touchdowns, you can see him pumping his arms and, and yelling, and they got some good zoom-ins on him on the, the broadcast. So, uh, I mean, he is uh, not only a great quarterback, but a character, and, uh, and the one that I think is... Um, both for his on the field and off the field antics going to be a, a quarterback of interest. And I mean, he, he had a, other than the fumbles, of course, one was not his fault, but uh, of the two, I mean, that's about the only thing you can knock him for. Uh, he took four sacks in this game, which is not what you want to see, but compared to last year uh, against a better Oregon defense than you saw in the mountain West, it's, uh, I mean, relatively an, an improvement for the O line and, for Hainer to have stayed in the pocket a little bit more than in the past. And he also picked up a, a rushing touchdown. So, I mean, a good game for him. And you mentioned the defense, and that's something that I don't think many people factored in was how good this Bulldog defense was going to be either. Because, uh, I mean, Oregon basically got handed 17 points. They got uh, a takeaway right there inside the five that was an easy touchdown. They got a, a second one in Bulldog territory where a penalty basically – put them in for a touchdown. Uh, they had the third turnover late in the game that turned into a field goal uh, in Bulldog territory. So there was really only, I believe I, I totaled it up, the Ducks had nine uh, length of the field drives and there were um, five punts, a turnover, a fumble, a turnover on down, and then the Ducks scored twice on a pair of touchdowns. So uh, when you look at that sample size uh, for Fresno State to go against the number 11 team in the nation and only give up 14 points on uh, normal scenarios, uh, that is pretty dang impressive. And we saw they just they gave the Ducks a lot of fits in the running game. And uh, the quarterback for Oregon, Anthony Brown, didn't put up very big stats. And uh, they really only had two big plays offensively all game long. They had the, the big touchdown over the top in the second quarter. And they had the, uh, of course, the, the touchdown run uh, by the quarterback uh, that pretty much sealed it, uh, almost for Oregon, right there at the end. So, I mean, you, usually when you see these kinds of matchups, the, the Power Five team, the, the top fifteen team that you're facing is going to go off for a bunch of big plays. And really, the Oregon offense got kind of lucky that they were put in so many favorable situa- situations, or I don't think they come anywhere near thirty-one points. Yeah, one has to begin to wonder, had the Bulldogs not given up those uh, those turnovers that they did, um, this could have been a completely different game uh, where the Bulldogs 
could have very well come out on top and won this game. Uh, not only won it, but might have won it comfortably, if you think about it, Jackson, with the way that they were moving the ball, right? Yeah, and I mean, I think that was in the back of everyone's mind. And I mean, even I, I remember I took a photo of the, the TV when the Bulldogs wrote 24-21 thinking, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing that Fresno State's leading the the number 11 team in the nation. And I'm not convinced they're going to come out as the victors because we've seen the story uh, quite a few times where the Bulldogs come close and they don't quite get it done. And you point to just a, a couple of plays that would have totally changed, like not even just given the Bulldogs a win, but would have made it a comfortable win, as you mentioned. I mean, we went through it recently in 2019 with Minnesota and USC, 2018 with Minnesota. And, uh, I mean, the bunch of games in the Pat Hill era that were close, but no cigar. Of course, USC being at the top of that list in 2005. Um, but, you know, when they, they brought that graphic up that it had only, it was almost the 20 year anniversary, or it had just passed that the Bulldogs beat Oregon State and in, in 2001 and went on that huge run. Thought maybe there might be some magic in this team for this game, but, you know, it's it's easy to to blame the the team for doing that, but I mean, when the the deck is so stacked against you, you're talking about the difference in talent that Oregon has, the facilities they have to bring in all the talent, all the money the Ducks have to to make all of that possible. I mean, it's pretty remarkable that the Bulldogs were in that situation in the first place. And I mean, when you have a team like that, you kind of got to expect they're going to make some of those plays like they did. The two takeaways in the first quarter were just absolutely credit to the Ducks, the defense, for making those happen. Uh, One was a big hit. The other was a strip uh, against Fresno State. Two key players on the entire team and set up 14 easy points for Oregon, and you have to give them credit for that. Uh, The the fumble by Hainer in the fourth quarter, that one is tough to swallow, and that's the one you kind of are are bummed out about most of all. I know some people asked why didn't he slide feet first, and uh, some other people brought up that he got smacked pretty hard on one or two other uh, tries when he slid feet first, and I don't think Oregon was even penalized for those, and uh, those were were pretty um, ugly-looking hits, so uh, it's not hard to blame Hainer for not wanting to go through that again, and he was just a couple of inches from having that knee down, unfortunately. It wasn't quite there, so... Yeah, I mean, it's another one of those woulda, shoulda, coulda games. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I think the Bulldogs would have beaten nine or ten Pac-12 teams. It's it's not just that they lost to a Power 5 team in a close fashion and a, a little bit of a heartbreaking fashion. But, I mean, Oregon was number 11 in the nation, and they are the favorite to win that conference. And they are undoubtedly a step up from the teams Fresno State has come close to in recent years and, and then not gotten the job done. So uh, the, the goal line moves a little bit for the Bulldogs in this one, but I think if Fresno State can get on a roll here, and especially if they can be UCLA, who's now ranked number 16th in the nation, uh, the memory of the Oregon game becomes a little bit better <laughs> than the, the disappointment that initially followed. Now you had mentioned the uh, the game about twenty years ago where Fresno State took on uh, Oregon State here at Bulldog Stadium, and not only won but pretty much blew out um, the Beavers. Um, but uh, this game, had the Bulldogs been able to pull this one off, 
would this one have been a bigger upset than that one back then? You know, um, I think I would still give it to the uh, 2001 game because Oregon State was ranked number 10 uh, officially, but I know some outlets, I think Sports Illustrated, had them ranked number one in their preseason poll, and that was extra fuel. I mean, uh, by any major media outlet to think the Bulldogs beat the number one team in the nation is pretty wild. And the only other time that came close to happening was that USC game a few years later. Uh, so, I mean, and that one was big. And plus it was uh, one of a, a couple of wins. I believe it was right in between the Colorado upset and the Wisconsin upset on the road. So, I mean, that it's going to be hard to ever replicate what happened in those games. But, uh, I mean, technically speaking, being the number 11 team on the road compared to being the number 10 team at home it is a bit more difficult challenge. So, um it wouldn't have gone down, I don't think, in the memories of Fresno State fans as big as that Oregon State game where the fans rushed the field and, and took down the goalposts. But uh, technically speaking, it was a, a more lopsided matchup that the Bulldogs faced and had more things stacked against them. And it would have, yeah, frankly, would have been more remarkable if they won that game, but I don't think it would have been remembered as such. Yeah, did they ever find those goalposts, by the way? <laughs> I know they made their way down uh, theater down to Shaw, I believe. I don't know what happened after that. <laughs> <laughs> All I remember is those goalposts leaving the stadium, and that was the last time I saw them. So <laughs> um, I don't know if they they used the same ones, but I I think what after that game they put in some uh, different types of goalposts that are now almost impossible to pull, tear down if you wanted to try. Um, <laughs> and and the added security also helps, but. Uh, but if I think about it, no amount of security will stop a rushing crowd if, if it comes down to it. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, this was one of those games where it opened up a lot of eyes, not only here locally, but across the nation. No one's going to be taking the Bulldogs lightly moving forward. So it's going to be even all that more difficult for the Bulldogs to surprise anyone, especially UCLA, who uh, may up until this point have been overlooking the Bulldogs, but now all of a sudden have to pay attention to them after what they did against Oregon, not only against Oregon, but in Oregon where it's so difficult to, to play. Do you think now that's going to be a little bit on the back of the minds of UCLA uh, as the Bulldogs move forward through this season? You know, I think mostly just because they have a bye this week and they have extra time to prepare for the Bulldogs. I will tell you, you know, in the UCLA fan base, <laughs> I, I guarantee you, even regardless of the way Fresno State played, uh, they're not thinking too highly of the Bulldogs as they typically don't. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, they packed that stadium for um, LSU last weekend, and uh, I mean, they played a fantastic game. The environment was as good as I've seen it in the Rose Bowl in a long time, based on TV, of course. And uh, I mean, you had fans with signs that said, we want Bama after. <laughs> and that's a far cry from Fresno, who's a team that can come in and beat them for sure. Uh, I think the team is uh, going to be able to get locked in after this bye week. But the the fan base and the program has, I guarantee they have much higher sight of competing for a Pac-12 championship and all sorts of things that don't include losing the Fresno State. So I still think this is a game where the red wave can travel in big numbers and, and the team can give a big punch to the mouth at UCLA and uh, we'll see what happens from there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just even the week before LSU, uh, 
UCLA hosted a Hawaii team that was better than Fresno State record-wise and head-to-head-wise last season and was had one of the smallest crowds I've ever seen at any college football game, let alone a UCLA game in the Rose Bowl. And uh, UCLA won that one in a blowout fashion. So it does appear to be a much better UCLA team. And uh, I think we'll see more UCLA fans that are uh, still excited about the LSU win. But I, uh, I'll bet you the whatever number of Bulldog fans in the red wave that make this trip are, are going to be the more spirited bunch <laughs> are uh, more uh, energized to, to try to get this specific win. Yeah, that, that one definitely I can see that one turning into a Bulldog home game. Um, if uh, UCLA is not careful on that one, but we're we're not going to get ahead of ourselves. That's that that game is still uh, you know a couple at least a couple of weeks away. Um, Bulldogs do have another opponent uh, before then, and that is going to be back here at Bulldog Stadium against Cal Poly. Uh, now Cal Poly. You know, many people don't think uh, too much of them. They're just going to be uh, one of those Division Two teams that the uh, the Bulldogs are, are going to have to face, like just the, like anybody else in the country. They usually schedule one of these. Um, Cal Poly, on the other hand, uh, Jackson, are they going to be a test for the Bulldogs uh, in any way, shape, or form, or is this going to be one of those where the Bulldogs are just going to try and sharpen a few more of their tools for the next upcoming game? Yeah, this one is is interesting because um, uh, Cal Poly is a part of the Big Sky and the entire SDS uh, level of football. They they played in the spring last year, and Cal Poly played three games. These were the scores: thirty four to twenty four loss. 73 to 24 lost to UC Davis and 62 to 10 lost to Eastern Washington. I mean, this was a horrible team for the FCS level, which usually means good things for an FBS team that gets to host them like Fresno state. Uh, but then uh, it seems like Cal Poly got some things figured out. Uh, they, so they hired uh, Bo Baldwin, who was very, very successful at Eastern Washington as their, their head coach. He was the offensive coordinator most recently at Cal and now he's back as the head coach at Cal Poly. And over this offseason, they were able to install their schemes a little bit better. They went out and got a quarterback who was at Cal as well, was a four-star recruit, Spencer Brash. And they went out and beat a San Diego team, not, not the Aztecs, but the Toreros, uh, that is usually very good at that level. Um, usually an 8-9-10 win team uh, usually gets to the FCS playoffs. And Cal Poly went on the road and won that game 28-17. So... Um, they've definitely figured some things out. They have some players. Uh, Chris Coleman, the former Bulldog receiver, was their leading pass catcher last weekend. And uh, they've, they've got some pieces. And it's not a team that should come anywhere close to beating Fresno State. But it does seem to be a team that's a little more competent and is going to give Fresno State just you know, more reason to pay attention to this one and uh, really you know, not sleep on Cal Poly, really put together a game plan that they're going to need to pull away maybe by the second or third quarter. I mean, I, I, I imagine it'll be a little bit more challenging than UConn, but probably not by a large margin. Uh, I still think the Bulldogs win this game by a lot, but it may not look quite as easy as the Bulldogs made it look in that second quarter uh, a couple weeks ago in Bulldog Stadium. Yeah, definitely. I think this is going to be one of those where, uh, you know, the Bulldogs will be able to do what they want, uh, however, they, they can't get complacent on them because uh, there have been upsets before uh, where a Division two team just 
goes in and and surprises everyone. Uh, I mean, who can forget that Appala- Appalachian State game where they took on uh, was it the the Wolverines of Michigan and and won? Yeah. So yeah, and there was a couple last week, and uh, even in the Big Sky where the Cal Poly is from, um, Montana went to a ranked Washington team and beat the Huskies. Uh, UC Davis went to Tulsa, a team that was undefeated in the regular season in the American Conference last year, uh, beat them. Um, and then there was uh, Eastern Washington who went to UNLV and they beat the Rebels in the double overtime. And then not the Big Sky, a different conference, but uh, Colorado State hosted South Dakota State and they got they got blown out. <laughs> South Dakota State won that game 42-23. to and it was more lopsided than that. The Rams scored a couple times in the fourth quarter. So, uh, I mean, I don't think this is one of those matchups. But, I mean, the FCS had a really good opening weekend. And, uh, yeah, I think that's just at least one thing the coaching staff can tell the guys, hey, <laughs> look at some of these games. Don't be like these teams. Yeah, definitely. I mean, because anybody can come out at any time and surprise someone uh, from those Division Two teams. And, uh, but... The you know the Bulldogs know this, and so I I believe they're going to be keeping an eye on um, Cal Poly, especially with especially with some of the talent that they were able to to kind of pick up. You know, uh, two of which uh, I believe came from from Fresno State, like you mentioned, Coleman and Endo, um, and a four star quarterback. I mean, Jackson, break down those players that that they picked up that could be difference makers uh, for the, uh, for Cal Poly. Yeah. Uh, Spencer Brash is their quarterback. He was a, a four-star recruit out of high school and a guy that, um, Bo Baldwin recruited to Cal to be the, the future there for the golden bears in the pac 12. And, um, the kind of, uh, boiled down pretty quick over the spring to where not only Brash, but, uh, Jaden Casey as well, the Bulldog fans know well, uh, for, previously being committed here and then flipping to Cal. Those two guys found out pretty quick that they weren't going to be the number two quarterback last spring. Uh, at least that's what it appeared to be. And uh, Brash made his way to Cal Poly with his former coach. Uh, and actually, he was, he's one point under four-star status for 24-7 sports. But nevertheless, <laughs> you know, in that ballpark range, had some offers including uh, Cincinnati and Hawaii and Minnesota. NC State, Syracuse, SMU, Vanderbilt. I mean, this guy is a legit uh, prospect. He's a six foot four kind of guy that uh, is a, a tall quarterback in the pocket. He's a little bit mobile, and um, you know, just a, a solid all around guy that wasn't quite Pac twelve material, perhaps, but is going to be really good at that that FCS level, and it's going to be. Um, really the highest-ranked quarterback that Fresno State has seen so far. I believe Anthony Brown was a three-star recruit out of high school. Uh, now that guy's uh, like a six-year senior for Oregon, so I have to imagine he's going to be better than Brash. But in terms of uh, just raw talent, I mean, this is going to be uh, the best prospect that Fresno State has seen so far this year. Uh, we know all about Chris Coleman and what he did for Fresno State the last couple of years. He got off to a really good start last weekend as their number one receiver. And then Emeka Endo, who hadn't played football for uh, two years, I believe, after uh, having a, what looked like his senior year at Fresno State in 2018, he was able to get some extra eligibility, and he's going to be trouble on the defensive line for the Mustangs. So, uh, and, and that's not all the pieces they have, but a few of them. And 
uh, you know, just overall, they were an option team before Bo Baldwin got there. So you can understand why their transition went ugly in the spring and how they're maybe finding some things out right now that are, are going to be good for them with the new pieces they have. Uh, but it, it's still going to be a work in progress, and it shouldn't be any reason why Fresno State wouldn't be able to handle it. Now, this is going to be one of those situations where a lot of these players at uh, Cal Poly uh, are going to come in with a with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder uh, because the Bulldogs didn't recruit them. Uh, is you think that's going to be the case with some of these players that uh, Cal Poly is going to bring um, here to Bulldog Stadium? Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, there's a lot of Valley guys on this roster. Uh, there's a big presence from Bakersfield. A lot of guys and, and names that I didn't recognize as being recruits that Fresno State went after. Uh, there's been a lot of kind of SDS guys come out of that region in the past couple of classes. Now they've, they've got some more high-profile guys coming up. Um, but you've got a player like Jacob Jones, who was at Central High School, uh, was a really good linebacker for them. He's just going to be a true freshman, but we'll see um, how, uh, if he plays significantly. Uh, I mean, Chris Coleman himself, as we mentioned, he's from Bakersfield. Um, I mean, you just go down the list, Bakersfield, Bakersfield, um, Fresno Bullard. You've got uh, Bryce Weiner, the quarterback from uh, the Knights, who is uh, a true freshman as well. Zion Hall from Garces, a running back who could work his way in there. Indo, as we mentioned, is uh, he's a Hanford native. I mean, there's going to be about 15, 20 guys with uh, pretty good connections to the Valley. And not only are they going to want to win, but they're going to have a lot of family in the crowd. And I anticipate it would be a bigger crowd of uh, opposing fans than UConn was able to bring fine across the country. So you're going to have a little bit of that as well to worry about. Yeah, and, and also the, the kickoff time is going to make things a little bit better for, for the fans that are actually attending this game. I mean, it should only be, what, 97 degrees by kickoff. Well, not bad, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's going to be one of those games where uh, it's going to get cooler as the night progresses versus getting hotter as the game progresses, <laughs> like last the last home game. Uh, so we shouldn't see too many of the fans starting to uh, go down, so to speak, uh, like <laughs> it happened uh, in the, the game here at home uh against Connecticut uh, so there should be more people in the stands hopefully um, to make this uh, a better atmosphere and I don't know Jackson I'm a bigger fan of those night games than I am those early morning games anyways what's your take on that are you the same you, you like the the night games better uh, usually yeah I mean uh, I can go for an afternoon game in November maybe but not in August uh, that was brutal and hopefully we don't have to go through that anytime soon again. That was that was a tough one. Players, media, fans, everyone. <laughs> it was a, a rough environment. And uh, yeah, so it's still going to be pretty hot for Fresno this time of year. I think we're at record triple digit days. And um, I think Saturday is not supposed to quite be 100, but it's going to be one where if you're tailgating, it's going to be during the, the peak heat and compared to a couple of weeks ago where it was nice and cool in the morning then got worse and this game will get more refreshing as the sun goes down and uh, the evening takes over so you might see a, a tired uh, crowd in the first quarter and maybe one that uh, gets a little more amped up midway through the game 
Yeah, it's uh, hopefully going to be a lot, a lot cooler for uh, for everyone. Um, but it's that time of the of of the podcast where you where you take on the matchups between uh, the Bulldogs and the opposing team. So let's start off with Fresno State's offense uh, versus uh, Cal Poly's defense, and and tell us a little bit what you expect to see as far as matchup wise. Yeah, from my understanding, um, Cal Poly is going to try to. Um, they, they play a defense that is multiple up front and are going to give the Bulldogs a lot of different looks. And they're also going to have a secondary that typically would uh, try to go head to head against receivers. And if uh, that's the case for this weekend, that's probably going to be the way Fresno state blows this one open. If they get one-on-one matchups at receiver, I mean, they're going <laughs> to, they're going to win enough of those to, to put a lot of points on the board. I don't see anyone that's going to be able to, cover a Jalen Cropper or a Josh Kelly or a Carrick Wheatfall. Um, even guys like Zane Pope and Ty Jones should have some good matchups. So this is a game where Fresno State should be able to take advantage through the air. At the same time, you really want to establish the run and make sure, kind of prove you can do it because uh, the Bulldogs certainly didn't do it at Oregon. And even against UConn in the first quarter, they didn't really establish the run. They had some big passes in the second quarter. And then the backups pretty much took over in the second half where they just ran the ball down UConn's throat. Um, uh, a little bit of a sidebar here. I thought there was a game last weekend where uh, TCU and a uh, FCS opponent, they played 12-minute quarters in the second half. <laughs> so a uh, recommendation that Fresno State's ever up big again in the second half, and it's 150 degrees on the field. Let's <laughs> cut some time off the clock and get out of there. Uh, so, yeah. um, but but back, back to this game, um, the, yeah, the – so overall, I think this is a game where the Bulldogs will probably hit some big plays in the passing game, but will ultimately try to be a balanced team that establishes the run. And um, I mean, they should be able to kind of do what they want in this game. If not, uh, we know that they can pass against pretty much anyone. And if the run game goes sour, they should be able to do what they need to with Hayner and all the receivers. Yeah, this is one where I expect to see uh, Ronnie Rivers being able to find some room. Uh, I also expect to see um, uh, the receiving core just blow it wide open, uh, especially Cropper. Um, this is the, the kind of game where if you're not careful, he can run away with this one quickly. Um, and, and of course, Hayner is going to be the one getting it to, to everyone. So I... I think that this offense is going to be a little bit too much for uh, Cal Poly to handle uh, defensively. Um, you, you, are you kind of picking up the same vibe on this one? I think so. And, and another thing to watch out for is that the Bulldogs are prepping true freshman Jalen Henderson uh, to be the number two quarterback this week. And they've also made it very clear that if they're going to waste for uh, a game, you know, he gets four games where he can play and still redshirt that, um, they want it to be valuable. So I think the, the Bulldogs are going to do everything they can to maybe get him in there with a lead in the third quarter to where he can throw the ball a little bit, not just hand it off a bunch of times to, to end the game. I mean, we saw even Logan Five two weeks ago had to come in due to the injury to Hayner, uh, but they still let him throw the ball like 14 times and the game was well in hand. So uh, that could be a fun thing to watch, uh, You know, a, a reason to stay around a little bit longer if it's lopsided. Uh, not just Hayner, but as well as the the uh, freshman phenom Jalen Henderson, who's trying to to win that overall number two quarterback. I think 
it's going to be a bit of a committee this season unless Henry gets hurt. So uh, here's should be your first chance to see him in action. Yeah, definitely a lot of opportunities for the Bulldogs to kind of get some players in there uh, and use some of those uh, red shirt uh, type of games where uh, they face an opponent to where they're not being over overwhelmed, so to speak, and let that player just do their thing during the game. This would be one of those games uh, to, to allow them to kind of get that experience under their belt and yet still be able to red shirt. Um, but on the flip side of the coin, Jackson, you've got um, you've got the offense, the Bulldogs' defense against Cal Poly's offense, and how do these two look uh, on paper here? Yeah, this. I mean, we didn't know what kind of offense or defense the Bulldogs were going to have this year. I mean, last year wasn't pretty, and after seeing the Bulldogs really, I mean, absolutely dominate uh, UConn and really, you know, outside of those unfortunate situations, really handle themselves against. The Ducks, I mean, you can imagine that this is going to be another game where they could really have their way. Uh, it's, it's kind of a similar O-line to UConn in terms of they're going to have two young tackles. Uh, they're going to have a sophomore at right tackle and a redshirt freshman at left tackle. And Fresno State is all about rushing the edge with those defensive ends and getting pressure on the quarterback. Uh, so this is a game where Fresno State should be able to get some pressure. Uh, they're not going to have a chance for uh, Cal Poly's quarterback to kind of leak out with uh, the rush off the edge. Brash isn't a super athletic guy, but he can run if needed. And um, on the interior line, you, that's where you see three seniors and some guys that are, are pretty large. Uh, I mean, a 6'3", 315 senior center that's going to tower over Bulldogs center Matt Smith if they cross paths. You know, they've got some pretty big and experienced guys on the interior, uh, a six foot six left guard so that it's probably going to be a little more of a challenge for um, the Bulldogs interior defensive linemen and then you know I, I don't see a ton of um, I mean aside from Chris Coleman I think the Bulldogs are going to be able to go blow for blow with all the, the skills players that Cal Poly has and the, the Bulldogs in the secondary uh, just about all of them played against Chris Coleman in practice every day for the last couple of years so they'll know him well but uh, we, as we all know, he's he's good for a highlight player too. So I would probably expect that to happen. Otherwise, I think the Bulldogs match up pretty well here. Um, Cal Poly is going to put usually three receivers and a tight end on the field. It's a similar kind of offensive system to what the Bulldogs run. So I don't think it's going to be anything that catches Fresno State off guard. No, and, and I I expect to to see some of the uh, defense being able to tee up on this offense as well. Um, uh, especially on the ends. Um, <laughs> if uh, Aaron Mosby gets loose, as he's he's really starting to establish himself as one of the premier players on the Bulldogs' defense, um, it could get kind of ugly for this uh, Cal Poly offensive line, don't you think, Jackson? Yeah, I mean, what we, we saw against UConn, where Mosby got off the edge and made that strip sack and scoop and score and uh, he did. They had another one, even against Oregon. So it's going to be tough for teams to stop him. And you know, he's not Kayvon Thibodeau, but for a Cal Poly O line that's uh, just a, a small FCS group, I mean, it's going to feel like Thibodeau compared to uh, the other kind of guys they see throughout the year. So that, that's they're probably going to be scheming for him the same way Fresno State had to for Oregon last weekend. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be one of those that uh, I'm gonna keep my eye on is gonna be Aaron Mosby on that on that end. 
Um, and then last but not least, Jackson, uh, the special teams here. Now, uh, we were throwing a curveball at kickoff uh, at the Oregon game where the uh, Fresno State's place kicker uh, was MIA, and all of a sudden we had another kicker playing. So what can you tell us more about what is going on there for uh, the Bulldogs and the special teams? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, uh, Cesar Silva suffered an injury. Uh, Thursday's practice, uh, towards the end, it's basically the very end of uh, the, the practice week. Uh, usually Friday is just a walkthrough, and then, of course, Saturday's game day on a normal week. And right at the end of Thursday's practice, he tweaked something, and didn't think he was going to be good to go. Uh, I was out there at practice this week and he's in uniform and he's kind of working his way back in. So it's kind of a wait and see if he'll be good to go, but it definitely doesn't appear to be anything severe. So um, the biggest thing, I mean, because Abraham Montano came in and kicked three field goals and made all of them. I mean, it was a really impressive performance and it's really easy to take for granted um, made field goals, but for a guy that's never played in a Division One college game before, and then to be in that environment on the road, and I mean, every one of those field goals had some pressure on them. Uh, I mean, to kick a go-ahead field goal even in the fourth quarter in that environment, I mean, that was pretty fantastic. So the future definitely looks bright, but I know the Bulldogs do like Cesar Silva, and they do want him to, to get back in there as soon as he can, especially on kickoff. That's really where we saw the Bulldogs suffer from week one to week two. Silva really improved his leg and was able to kick those touchbacks on most kickoffs in the first game. And they didn't have that element to them last weekend. So the uh, biggest thing you want to see is for Silva to get back in there on kickoffs and boot those things uh, into the end zone. Yeah, it's the, it definitely helps when you've got somebody who can get it down down uh, to the other end so that we're not having to face uh a return game, so to speak. Uh, it makes things a, a lot easier on the special teams. Uh, but as far as the Bulldogs, uh, Jackson, their return game, are, are we actually going to get a chance to see a return game uh, in this upcoming game? Because it's, it's been pretty mild the, the first two games. Yeah, I mean, Jordan Mims has been doing kick returns and he hasn't had a ton of opportunities at them. Um We've seen uh, Jordan Wilmore is back there as well. He seems to be more of kind of the lead guy, uh, the blocker. Um, and then on punts, I mean, Ronnie's always back there, and he's real sure-handed. But as good as Ronnie is, we don't usually see him break many of those. In fact, he usually fair catches them more often than not. So uh, we haven't seen a whole lot in uh, the return game quite yet. But we have seen that uh, Mims is looking um, more like himself in the offense. And so maybe that translates on returns. He's only had one so far this year for 15 yards. And so uh, kind of going to have to wait and see if uh, the Bulldogs uh, can, can make that happen. Yeah, it's it's something that uh, has been a work in process for the Bulldogs for quite some time now. Uh, uh, long gone are those days of uh, explosive returns by, by Bulldogs. Um, I was hoping that uh, this year we would see some of that start to happen again, uh, but it doesn't, doesn't look like it's going to be uh, coming to fruition this season. Um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see, but... Uh, the Bulldogs are definitely, uh, you know, uh, working on all cylinders everywhere else, so to speak. So that is encouraging for the Bulldogs. Uh, but Jackson, any 
any other thoughts uh, heading into this matchup? Anything that you expect to kind of keep your eyes open for in this game? Yeah, um, you know, I don't think this is going to come close to an upset. I think, um, you know, the time may come at some point in the years to come where the Bulldogs kind of are, are not at the peak kind of team like I think this one is, and maybe they face an FCS team that's really good, and we have a, a matchup that's to be concerned about, but I don't think this is going to be it. And um, also to keep in mind, the Bulldogs host Cal Poly again next year, so they might be especially sensitive to not running up the score, knowing that the Mustangs are going to be back next year, and the Bulldogs lose some guys like Ronnie that may, they may be not, might not be quite as explosive next season, so that's something to keep in the back of your mind as well. But, uh, yeah, I don't foresee this one being too big of a, an issue for the Bulldogs. And, you know, they've stayed pretty healthy so far. I mean, they've looked really good through two weeks. Uh, I mean, that's almost the best-case scenario. I mean, if you're 20-point underdogs in week two and you have a fourth-quarter lead and only lose by a touchdown, uh, your team's a lot better than most people expected. So, uh, I mean, so far, so good for the Dogs. If they can take care of business and stay healthy, uh, then we've got a big one at UCLA next week, and uh, the whole thing starts over again with the <laughs> upset uh, hopes for the dogs. Yeah, definitely. That one is going on. That one's on the Bulldogs' radar for sure. And uh, now the Bulldogs need to be careful that they don't overlook this week's game. Um, but uh, I don't see that happening. However, Jackson, the Bulldogs in the past have been. Um, you know, for a lack of a better term, have have played down to their opponents versus playing above them. Uh, is do you see that kind of happening here, or, or are the Bulldogs going to be able to just stay comfortable and keep moving forward? Yeah, you know, it's been interesting because it's kind of shifted from kind of uh, scheme to scheme, so to speak. I mean, when you had Pat Hill's offense, it was not one that tore opponents up typically. I mean, they had some games, of course, over his years, but, you know, it was an offense that kind of slowed the game down and stayed close against better teams and also slowed the game down and let worse teams kind of hang around maybe a little bit longer when you compare that to Tim DeRuder's time here where uh, Derek Carr and that offense just wanted to score on every play as fast as possible. <laughs> and uh, when they had one of those matchups, it was usually pretty lopsided. Um, this team's kind of in between and they've really had their, I mean, Coach DeBoer was, of course, the offensive coordinator in 2017 and 18, and they absolutely destroyed Incarnate Word and Idaho in those two FCS matchups those seasons. So uh, they, I mean, this isn't a, a offense or a team or a mentality where the Bulldogs are trying to score every single play. Uh, they're trying to just move it 10 yards at a time, but it has been talented and potent enough to really put a lot of points and win in lopsided fashions against good teams. So I think that's what we'll see here. I mean, it's not going to be an ADR touchdown to Jalen Cropper every play, but they should still score 40 or 50 points at least and, and win this one by a pretty wide margin. Now, uh, once the Bulldogs take care of, of Cal Poly, then they're going to be starting to look forward to that uh to that UCLA game. Now, is it going to be one of those games uh, where the Bulldogs are going to kind of not show everything they have, so to speak, in this game, uh, just to kind of hold something back for, for UCLA, or do they just go ahead and just let it fly and, and try and iron out all the kinks? 
I mean, I'm sure they, they gave everything they had against Oregon. And, you know, they, I mean, every game plan kind of shifts a little bit differently for each opponent. So there's going to be things that are, are under wraps. But I would anticipate just in general, if the Bulldogs have a big lead, they'll go fairly vanilla in the second half. <laughs> As we saw against UConn, I mean, it was a, a pretty basic offense once Logan Fife got in there. And they still scored two touchdowns. Um, so I, I would anticipate the Bulldogs try to distance themselves as quickly as they can and then go pretty pretty vanilla from there on out. Uh, let Jalen Henderson make some throws and uh, get the, some of the reserve running back some touches and, and run that clock. Yeah, so this is going to be one of those where it just kind of, once, once they get their points, then they just slow it down <laughs> pretty much. Uh, so it's going to be, it's going to be a fun one for the Bulldogs, a fun one for the fans uh, this upcoming week. Make sure you get there um, and, uh, and kind of stay in the shade as long as possible before heading into the stadium. Because once you're in, there's no more shade. <laughs> uh, trust me, Jackson and I were looking for it, <laughs> uh, but, but we found, we, we found a nice little spot in the last game that kind of saved our, our, our butts, so to speak, right, Jackson? Yeah, that was about the only patch of shade in there <laughs> that time. But so, uh, hopefully, that sun goes down pretty early into the game and uh, makes for a nice, uh, nice environment. Uh, what the the west side should feel have shade from kickoff on, and then the east side just have to wait a little while to to join them in that pleasant uh, environment, even though it's going to be pretty warm. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a warm one. Uh, I think as of right now, the high for Saturday, I believe, uh, is about. Let me see here. The high for Saturday is ninety seven degrees. Uh, so uh, typically, the hottest point of the day is about four o'clock. So I'm guessing probably about right around ninety five, ninety four degrees by kickoff, Jackson. You think I'm you think I'm in the realm of possibility there? Yeah, I, mean, I got a, an hour leave here and looking like low 90s at kickoff, low 80s by the end of the game. So it's gonna it's gonna feel like paradise compared to that last game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, if if some of you are are my uh, a part of my Twitter followers, you would have seen a, a photo that I posted of the temperature that the field was in the last home game. Uh, and that the Bulldogs were landing on every play, and it was about 152 degrees uh, if you were laying down on the field. <laughs> so um, it's not going to be anywhere near that this time. <laughs> so uh, hopefully things are going to be a lot better, not only for players but also for fans. Um, and so, Jackson, with that being said, any final thoughts before we move on and shut down the show here? Um, I mean, that's about it. Uh, I mean, it was a exciting game last weekend. Unfortunately, the Bulldogs couldn't get it done. I think they did everything possible to give you confidence that they can go on a pretty big run from here on out and certainly compete for a Mountain West championship. And uh, we'll see how it goes. As, um, of course, health is going to play a big part in it, but especially relative to the rest of the conference, the Bulldogs look really good. And there's only a, about another team or two that, has as much momentum as the Bulldogs right now, even coming off of a loss. And uh, kind of got buried with football being such a big priority, but uh, the Bulldogs' uh, bas- men's basketball non-conference schedule also came out. Uh, they're going to be at home a lot. Uh, they've got some teams like UC Irvine and uh, Cal State Northridge and Idaho. and Fred- <laughs> I mean, 
uh, it's not a huge home lineup. Cal Poly is going to be one of those home games as well. Um, but they do have some pretty decent basketball teams on that schedule. They're going to play Pepperdine and Santa Clara um, on neutral courts. They got to go to San Francisco, uh, which is a, a really good basketball program. Uh, go to Utah. They'll be at Cal on Thanksgiving weekend. So uh, there's going to be uh, some opportunities on the road and in uh, neutral sites for that team to uh, get some decent wins. That I mean, it's probably not a, uh, a slate that's going to buy them much for NCAA tournament at large, but uh, certainly they can build some reputation over that. And uh, if NIT is a question, I think that's a schedule that they can put a couple wins on to help get them into that. Yeah, so that's going to be uh, you know fun to try and get uh, basketball rolling again uh, because uh, it's been a long time since we've had this many sports going on all, all at once uh, for a whole <laughs> for a whole year. It was it was kind of like a desert. Now all of a sudden we've got uh, a lot of sports going on, and hopefully things continue to roll uh, and, and continue to uh, to keep going uh, as far as that is concerned. No one wants to see another shutdown, right, Jackson? Yeah, I mean, you just reminding me that last year the basketball season got delayed pretty much for Fresno State, and it didn't really start until after football ended. So, uh, yeah, it's going to get busy here. That Cal game's on Thanksgiving weekend, and so uh, the Bulldogs football team's going to be in uh, San Jose on Thanksgiving Day. So if you want to have a uh, four-day Bay Area weekend, I guess <laughs> you could catch both of them. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to get busy here quick. Yeah, it's gonna. We're gonna have our hands full, so to speak. So, uh, everyone, just make sure you uh, stay tuned as we continue to progress everything moving forward uh, throughout the season. So, if you want to get a hold of Jackson, you can find him on Twitter at JacksonMoore two four seven. You can find me on Twitter at Red Wave Report. You can also find us on Facebook. Just do a search for the Barkboard.com. Uh, five thousand strong and growing uh, daily. Um, be a part of that community and as always for all your latest Fresno State fix head over to thebarkboard.com itself Uh, become a premium subscriber where you will receive the information prior to anyone else as we get it and break it Um, so I want to thank everyone for joining us and join us again next week as we continue the ongoing coverage of Fresno State Athletics